Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie. And this week, John, will be talking about a question that you often receive from curious readers. How do you decide what goes into the magazine? Yeah, the question that I get asked quite often, Stan, is how do you decide what books you're going to review? And the first answer to that is that it's very subjective. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a good thing. That's why you're the editor, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's enjoyable that if you pick up several different magazines that review books, you're going to find a little overlap, but you're also going to find a lot of books in one that aren't reviewed in the other and so on. And yet you have criteria for deciding, even in your subjectivity. Sure, sure. And one thing that I often tell people, and I'm sure that some of our listeners who've actually asked me this question, and I've answered it for them, will groan because they've heard the very example I'm going to give. But I often start out by saying that people are surprised, I think, when they learn that there really are only a very few books that, let's say, books and culture just has to review, you know, that given who we are, given our identity, our roots, what we're trying to do, the community that we're serving, all those things, you know, there are a handful of books in any given year that even if you had 10 different editors, 10 parallel universes, you know, (laughs) and they were all doing books and culture. And the example I usually give is George Marsden's biography of Jonathan Edwards, Mm -hmm. which came out a few years ago, ended up winning a major historical prize and getting other recognition as well. And that was a combination of the subject and the author. You You had Jonathan Edwards, certainly one of the greatest, if not the greatest, American theologian, Mm -hmm. also a leading figure in the history of American philosophy, someone who's had a profound impact, and then his life being told by a scholar who is one of the premier scholars of American religion of his day, one of the leading evangelical historians someone who has had a great influence not only in his books, but in mentoring younger scholars, and that's George Marsden. So there's a limited number of no-brainers. A very small number, yeah. How many would you guess? I would say in in a given year, there might not even be five of those. Wow. That's sort of depressing, John. (laughs) Well, not really. No, 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 not really. I mean, that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of terrific books. There's also a ton of bad books, but there's more good books than anyone has time to read. But you're defining this very narrowly as... Well, I mean, yeah, I'm saying in those 10 parallel universes, every time, that would be one of the books that you'd review. Then there's a large kind of middle category that includes lots of books that are certainly obvious choices. So, for instance, yesterday I got a galley from Yale University Press of a book called The Invention of News, and it's by a scholar named Andrew Pedigree. And Alan Jacobs wrote about a book that he did also with Yale several years ago called something like The Renaissance Book or The Book in the Renaissance. He's a very well-respected scholar. So partly it's, in his case, the track record that he has. In this case, the subject is interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, people periodically 
are inclined to think about, well, how, this thing we call news, where did it come from? And, and then there was a third factor in this case, and that was I knew someone who I thought would be a perfect reviewer for it. And that's a scholar named C. John Somerville. And John has published yeah. both first-order scholarly books on what you might call the origins of the news in Britain, and also a popular book that was called something like How the News Makes Us Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> he's someone who has written for us before. He's a very good writer. He's very concise. Oftentimes, when you're thinking about a particular book that you're going to review, it's not just the book and the author. It's also if you have someone, or in, in some cases, several people who seem really outstanding candidates to review it, it rises quickly near the top. Does that happen to you much? I mean, you seem to know anybody who's anybody. And it well, seems like you'd have a hard time not locating a proper writer. You'd be surprised. I mean, it depends on the subject. There are tremendous disproportions. Hmm. So that, for instance, in a particular field like American religious history, let's say, I usually have, as El Guapo would say, a plethora of possibilities, <laughs> you know. But in some other areas... For instance, when I want to find someone to review a book on Iran, I have a terrible time. Hmm. I mean, I could almost yeah. always, for any book, I could almost always find someone to review it. And by the way, I'm not at all, as you know, of the mind that you can only have specialists review books in a particular subject hmm. area. I think you need a mix. And it depends on the book. There are some books that you really want yeah. to be reviewed by a specialist. But on the other hand... We love to have a mix in, in any given issue of some people who can write about a whole range of things, interestingly, sharply, entertainingly, along with some people who are writing about a subject that they have spent years and years pondering. And sure. One of the problems that I have sometimes is with scholars who are very careful and they don't want to write about something that's outside their area of expertise. And I wish they would, you know, mm -hmm. but that's okay. I understand their reservation and not everyone wants to do that kind of writing. It's not better to do that than to write strictly from your field. And so I move on and try to find someone else. What do you do if you've done all that thinking and you've matched up a reviewer with a book and you're really excited about it, you set a deadline... It comes in, and it just stinks. You know, that almost never happens. But I'll tell you what does happen, and that's actually part of the reason, even though it might not seem related, part of the reason that wanted us to have this conversation was that I was just having an email exchange with a writer who I greatly admire. It was about something else, but he brought up the fact that his most recent book wasn't reviewed in Books and Culture and how disappointed he was and how he had actually even told people I think of it as a books and culture book. And of course, that wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt, I felt really terrible. Actually, I thought I had told him this before, but I guess I hadn't. And that is that I had assigned the book right off the bat. I sent the galley to a mm -hmm. reviewer, and then some time passed, and the review didn't come in, but the finished book came out, and I sent the finished book, and then over a period of time, I occasionally checked right. in with him, and he said, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't got it doing, but I will get it to you. And I told him, well, you know, books and culture, maybe, 
even though we'll be starting over and it'll be late, we still might do it, but I felt bad. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you could talk to, as I've mentioned to you before, you could talk to some people who've written for us who they got the review in in a very timely manner and they're still waiting to see it in print, you know, because (laughs) I'm juggling a lot of priorities. And so it goes both ways. You might say, well, how does that relate to the question of how you decide what books to review? That really seems totally unrelated. And it's not, at least in my mind, because what appears in a given issue is the result of the confluence of many different Mm -hmm. circumstances, including, as we started off with, the subjective and very fallible judgment of the editor, but also other contingencies. For me maybe at least as important, if not more important, than the question of how do you choose this specific book or that specific book is what you might call the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, and there's a kind of a flavor to it, <laughs> you know, and you want some of this and some of this. You don't want everything the same. You don't want an issue that has pieces that are all about the same kind of subject and are all mm-hmm. written in the same tone. One way that some books get chosen is precisely the fact that there's something intriguing, there's something unexpected about them. They add that seasoning to the issue. What's your biggest miss? Biggest miss? You mean like a book that we should have reviewed but didn't? Yeah, and you just look back and you say, how could I have missed that one? I'll throw that out to our listeners and ask them to email me and say, you know, if you're someone who's read the magazine for a while, what would you consider the book that you most were hoping and expecting should be reviewed in books and culture and it wasn't, what would that book be? And if I get any number of responses, that would be fun. Then I can announce the winner and who knows, maybe we'll even do a belated (laughs) review of it. 